Hi, I'm Patrick Finley. He's Jason Leisure, and he's Mark Potash. Coming up on Hallis' Intrigue, guys, a win. How about that? All that and more coming up next. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Jason, you and I are sitting here at FedEx Field in the wee hours in the morning. The Bears have just won a game 40-20 to that did not feel that much of a blowout. You and me and Mark Potash, too. Yes. Well, I said we. I said legend. Uh, Just uh, an all-around crazy day for a franchise that has had nothing but crazy days for five weeks. Uh, Let's start with the game, and then I want to get to the passing of Dick Buckus. 40-20, to if you just read the box score... You have no idea of the drama that went on in the second half. It is the closest 40-20 to 20 game you could imagine because there's all, there's all this context to it, Pat. Not just was Washington within 10 points and with the ball in the fourth quarter with time. And kicking a, and trying to kick a field goal. Plenty to go down of seven. time. Uh, but you have this history, this context of the Bears having just blown a similar lead last week. Not even last week. This week. Five days ago, they were up... 21 or 28 7 mm-hmm. in the third quarter and blew uh, it was the worst blown lead in franchise history in terms of points and how late it was in the game so you have all of that drama all of that tension the stress is skyrocketing for anybody that's watching particularly watching the bear side of it and then it just kind of they they miss the the, the field goal and then Justin Fields Goes with a 56-yard touchdown pass down the sideline to DJ Moore, and it's over. Just which, like that. which was a two-yard pass and a 54-yard run uh, on a really tight throw that very easily could have been a pick six the other way, but it wasn't. And I think that's worth pointing out because this is a team that lost 14 straight games. We were looking for the banana peel all the way through the second half, and the Bears Absolutely. looked like they were walking right toward it. Potsy, can you rem- can you remember a game like this? I know how much you love being put on the spot, but uh, this this just felt so bizarre. Uh, in that second half, uh, it just felt like it was slipping away almost every minute. Well, it, it definitely felt like that, but i got to tell you, Pat, I, I think it's almost just like it's the opposite of last week, it, it, that they survived that, that they that things went their way. The missed field goal, um, the DPI they got picked up, um, just all the things that happened to them. They, they, had a high, they had a bad snap and gained eight yards out of it. Um, and, and that pick six, that could have been a pick six, turned into a touchdown. I mean – that to me, that they survived that, that legitimizes everything that happened before it, as opposed to last week, where I think it, what happened delegitimized everything that happened in the in the early going. I think that's the big difference. I think they can hang their hat on this game and what happened early in the game a lot more than they did last week. I think that's probably the most positive sign uh, overall for the Bears after this one. Pat, let's talk about Justin Fields. An interesting game for him because he was on fire in the first half. And he, second half, though, he was three for nine for under 100 yards. But his overall game rounds out to 15 of 29, 282 yards, four touchdown passes, a 125 passer rating. This is the second time in Justin Fields' career that he has gone over 100 in passer rating back to back games. This is the the second best game he's ever played as a passer, and the best game he ever played as a passer was five days ago. I find his game today impressive, even though. Things went quiet in the third quarter and well into the fourth, and it allowed the commanders to creep back in. 
Justin Fields did a lot of things that you want to see him do, and Washington was clearly playing the defense that everyone is playing against him now of kind of cage him in the pocket, do not let him run on you, make him beat you as a passer, and he did. Yeah, he and did. And the way that he did, I, I appreciate, one, that he was able to kind of ride out that rough patch in, this, in the third quarter and into the fourth and finish like he did with the 56-yard touchdown pass, but the it's so uh, encouraging for the Bears that he was just pounding DJ Moore, just getting the ball to DJ Moore, being very aggressive with his throws to DJ Moore. That's why he's here. Justin Fields has never had a receiver like that. Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney, uh, who was their good receiver last year, Nikhil Harry. <laughs> Dar uh, Justin Fields has never had a wide receiver like this. That's why the Bears got DJ Moore in that trade, was so that he would finally have this kind of weapon We've been waiting for him to go to DJ Moore relentlessly and aggressively and trust him to make plays. He did it a little bit against Denver. He did it a lot tonight. And DJ Moore ends up with 230 yards receiving, three touchdowns. He's just short of Alshon Jeffrey's single-game record of uh, 249 yards in a game that was in the, ago. That was in the Metrodome, wasn't it, Potsy? The Alshon yeah. Jeffrey game? Against the Vikings. Against, against the Vikings, and it started early. Uh, you know, third down, third down and nine, the Bears are not a good third down team. 58 yards to DJ Moore. Three plays later, third down and 14, 20 yards to DJ Moore for a touchdown. The Bears go up 7-0. To me, what was the most impressive part about Fields was the Bears clearly had the strategy of trying to spread them and shred them through the air. And then you figure once they get a big lead, then they can lean on their run game, which was pretty effective today. But you lose Roshan Johnson in the second quarter to a concussion. Khalil Herbert's leg bends the wrong way on a Justin Fields throw. Uh, he could be in some serious trouble uh, physically. Uh, but, you know, he goes to the sideline, uh, runs, tries to come back, takes one hand off, essentially crumples. Stumbles, yeah. Yeah, crumples at the line of scrimmage, shakes his head no, jogs off. Uh, Travis Homer, their third running back, leaves the game with a hamstring, I believe. And Kari Blassen game, their fullback, winds up with eight carries for 26 yards. And that's not a shocking number, but they really needed someone they could lead on. He had not had eight carries in his life coming into this game, correct? He had three, all with the Titans. He had never carried the ball with the Bears. So Justin Fields not only... It, he didn't. He not only had to be a good passer, Potsy, in the fourth quarter. He had to be their entire offense because they didn't have anybody who they could hand the ball off to and well, run some clock. I, I think um, not that I disagree with you, but I, I, I think my star of the game would be the offensive line because this is a not very good team that had one element that could beat a team like the Bears handily, and that's their defensive line against the Bears' offensive line. You know, the, the, the commanders against, like, the Bills, their defensive line doesn't really make a difference because it's just so because they're uh, outmatched and they lose 37-3. But against a team like the Bears, they can take that one element, as you know, against an offensive line that is totally was even was just as jumbled today as it always has been. They could have dominated this game and won for 40 to 20, and it held up even with an injury uh, to Lucas Patrick, and then they rotated uh, uh, Tevin Jenkins in, and I think that was, and a lot of those passes, uh, a lot of the key passes, he had time to throw. So I think long term, if you're going to look at something that makes that is sustainable, I think it's the one element I, I think is the offensive line holding when it was up against uh, a formidable defensive front. Yeah, and they might get – I mean, they're going to get Braxton Jones back uh, as soon as two weeks from now. I think Larry Borum has been pretty good, to tell you the truth. But that line did look good. The Bears had five sacks today. Uh, that is uh, three more than they had all season coming in. And uh, the Commanders only had three. So if you would have told us before the game that the Bears would lead the Commanders in sacks, uh, I think we would have been fairly surprised. 
by that whole thing. Jason, let's talk defense real quick. Matt Eberflus blitzed. Matt Eberflus uh, did weird, non-Matt Eberflusy things, uh, in part because the guys he was playing with were just a bunch of no-names. Uh, by the end of the game, they came in without Eddie Jackson or Jalen Johnson, and then it seemed like they were losing somebody, whether it was to cramps or grabbing a hamstring or something, almost all the way through the game. He doesn't have a lot of choice to begin with, Pat, even if everybody's healthy, because this pass rush just isn't there. And it's the second biggest liability you can have as a football team. It's the biggest after having a quarterback problem. And it is something that's going to be problematic for them all year. And as soon as he figures out something that works, teams will adjust. Teams will start picking it up. So Matt Eberflus will constantly have to be coming up with new ideas to get some kind of pass rush going. He did it today. We've been waiting. I mean, he needed to start doing this probably second game of the year. It should have been apparent that this was going to be necessary at the latest. Um, we are seeing the creativity now, and I think that's positive. That's also something, that's one of several things on a list that I think they need to spend a little extra time on now that they have this extended break between now and hosting the Vikings. And Sam Howell was awesome in the second half. Finished 37 of 51 for 388, two touchdowns and a pick, a passer rating of 99.1. But Potsy, the Commanders handed the ball off to a running back six times all game. That's, I, I think we've seen people play the Bears very differently than that with the idea that they beat up on the Bears front seven. Yeah, I think it's maybe not surprising that they thought that they could beat the Bears with Sam Howell. But Sam Howell has done that before. I mean, he's kind of a litmus test for, for a lot of teams. If you're good, you can beat him. If you're bad, he'll beat you. And uh, I think overall, I know the numbers, especially in the second half, look better. But remember, they, they, were, they were fighting from behind, so I think it was a little bit skewed. And I think overall, especially in the first half, the Bears won that battle. We mentioned earlier that the Bears haven't had a regular boring game week in ever. Uh, this year, at least, you know, you know, dating back to, you know, you have the biggest rivalry game in the league in week one and then Allen Williams in week two and three and Chase Claypool and uh, Justin Fields talking about coaching. You've got this whole thing. And, and Potsy, there was another one thrown into the mix today and, and it was a real world problem or sad issue. Um, and, and that's the death of Dick Buckus at 80. Uh, he died in his sleep overnight in Malibu, California. That broke just as we got to the game, and uh, you did a, a lovely job uh, eulogizing him in your story about exactly what he meant to the Bears. Yeah, it was, I have to admit that's really an emotional thing for me, uh, having grown up watching Dick Butkus play and knowing exactly what uh, knowing exactly what he meant to the Bears. And uh, he's an interesting guy, uh, Dick Butkus. It's got tough. We just saw him week one. Uh, on the field and you know he didn't look great but you know didn't think he was uh, about to pass away so that's always just kind of stunning but just um, there's it's hard it's hard for me to even explain even though I wrote about it exactly what it is about Dick Butkus all I can tell you is that 50 years after he played his last game um, he still has an impact on people who never saw him play because people who did see him play pass it down to the 
to the next generation. So everybody has an appreciation. Talk to Tyler Scott in the locker room. He's a guy whose dad always talked to him about ex-Bears. And he said that's the first thing his dad told him was about Dick Butkus. So for him, he's one of the few players on this team who was really impacted by that. First thing he said, he, th- he said he you know, thought about his dad first. But that's an example of a dad telling the kid, show it. He said, he, I said, he said I, I've been watching Dick Butkus uh, highlights since I was eight years old. And that's why Dick Butkus is still larger than life it today, 50 years later, because he, that, he had that much, uh, he had that much of an impact, and um, and the other thing about Dick Butkus is, you know, everything you hear about him um, is uh, is you know kind of this larger than life kind of monster player. But Dick Butkus was also just an outstanding, just a good fundamental football player. He was, uh, he had great hands, he had great instincts. He was more than just this cartoon character. A maniacal player and uh, he had great hands he had his, I think he had like 27 fumble recoveries 22 interceptions uh, he if you look at the highlights of Dick Butkus you could go ahead right now and just look at any when you look at these highlights they they, they, they highlight all the all the all the crazy hits and stuff like that, but look how he tackles watch how he tackles he's a textbook tackler he never missed he rarely missed tackles he was just so I guess my point is a lot, he gets this reputation as this as this like uh, monstrous player you know uh, uh, who, who crosses the line but really he was uh, the reason he's Dick Butkus is because he was a great great football player and that's I think I appreciate that most of all so tough loss for the Bears tough loss for the organization tough loss for Bears fans um, but I'm glad uh, personally anyway they have a lot of great memories of watching Dick Butkus like myself a south side Chicagoan I was brought home from a hospital six blocks from CVS high school when he was like a sophomore at, uh, vocational in 1959 and uh, ever since then you know Dick Butkus was uh, all there ever was uh, to know about the Chicago Bears, even when you had Gale Sayers on the same team. And for a franchise that has so many larger-than-life former players, uh, many of them still walking around town and uh, enjoying their, uh, being, them, being you know, uh, Dan Hampton. Nobody enjoys being Jim McMahon more than Jim McMahon does. Was he somehow a tier above uh, the Singletaries, the McMahons, the Hamps, the Dents, those guys that on most other franchises would be you know, top three uh, players they've ever had. Yeah, well, he was for a couple of reasons. For one thing, he was just that good if you watch him play. I mean, he played on poor teams. For a guy to stand out like that on poor teams is really unbelievable. Um, but also the era he played in, I think that was an advantage for him. Uh, you know, I was just talking, joking with uh, Tyler that, uh, you know, he'd have, been, he'd have been kicked out of about half games, half the games he played in today. Uh, so he was in. He was played in an era where where uh, that you could do you could be that kind of player. He just did it at an entirely different level. Where players who you watch watch some of these documentaries, these highlight things, and they they have players uh, on other teams just talking about how scared they were, how fearful they were of Dick Butkus. He was like, I guess the best the best way I can uh, I can think of putting it was uh, he brought out like kind of the he brought out kind of the meathead in every Bears fan, but it was real. You know, this idea, like I talked about in the story, that, you know, well, when you played the Bears, you might have got beat, but they beat the crap out of you. You know, that's kind of a silly notion, but Dick Butkus made it real. He made watching the Bears fun when the Bears were not fun to watch because he was Dick Butkus. And I think, uh, I think that's why he, he's a legend who is, whose legend is, is as real as it can be. It's, it's not, you know, so things always get exaggerated as time goes on and the generations retell the stories. Uh, but you watch any highlight film of Dick Butkus, or talk to anybody who actually saw him play, and you know everything they say about him, good and bad, was true. It was real. And he never played in a playoff game. 
He never. He only played on two winning teams. Uh, I can't remember the number, like 53 and 84 or something, and four or whatever. It was. Uh, yeah, he he played in a banner or went one in 13 one year. Um, but um, he was just uh, he he was just everything that uh, I guess fans wanted themselves wanted to be in a football player. Yeah, and I think that was that, that was the difference between him and Sayers. Nobody nobody could run like Sayers, but everybody had it in him to want to hit like Dick Butkus. And so I think that's why he, that's why he his what everything about him resonated with Bears fans, and and um, and you know that's you know that that's what made rooting for Dick Butkus even on bad teams you know such a kind of kind of a a, a great thing and a, a great childhood memory for myself. I know that. And Pat, his I mean his personality transcended his playing career where he was such an icon all the way to the end every time you would see dick buckus on the sideline at soldier field doing one of those like you know cheers with the crowd during a, a timeout people went crazy for dick buckus being there matt eberflus at the start of his post-game press conference day on on a, probably the biggest win matt eberflus has ever had uh <laughs> yeah i mean it's one of four it, 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 it's a short conversation yes mentioned dick <laughs> buckus and the great relationship that they had uh, what, how special it was to to Matt Eberflus to get to know him and be around him and be able to talk shop with him. And uh, there's just – this is someone who was, to the end, very present within the city and within – even though he didn't live in Chicago anymore, but very present to people in the city, very present to people in the organization. He's somebody too, Potsy, that wasn't afraid to tell it like it is. I mean, I, I've seen him at the last – three mm. or four Super Bowls and then talk to him, you know, for stories every time. And every time he sits there and goes, I don't know what that Matt Nagy did with Justin Fields or, hey, if you're going to blame people in the Bears organization, you need to look at ownership. Like, this isn't a rah-rah guy. This is a guy who, whose beliefs and, who, and whose opinions of the Bears, I think, fell in line with your average Chicago and a lot more than uh, the, than the other way around. Yeah, he was outspoken even when he was on the Bears. He wrote a book called Stop Action, where I think it, I think it's about the 1971 uh, season, and he said a bunch of things about Mike Lucci and the and the Lions, and they had a great rivalry. And even then, at the time, even then, it riled up, you know, the Lions. They weren't happy about what he said. But you know, Dick Butkus was. Uh, here's another thing I like about Dick Butkus. He's a Hall of Famer who played special teams throughout his career. Not only that, but he made plays on special teams. He caught two. He caught. You, you'll, you can look, look for the highlights uh, on YouTube. He caught two. Uh, uh, extra points on, on bad snaps, and uh, all, and one of them's great. Uh, one of them's a great one against the Eagles, uh, where he catches the ball and then just hands the ball to the defensive player, and the defensive <laughs> player just snap, yep. you know, just swats it away. It's just, I mean, everything about him, like I said, was real. He did all that stuff. He was, you know, he missed all training camp one year, and uh, with injuries at the end of his career, I think it was in '73, you know, and his legs were shot. That caused problems with the Bears and the medical team and stuff like that. Uh, lawsuits, this and that. But anyway, he missed the entire 73 preseason, gets into the first game, 15 tackles. And he's, and he's Dick Butkus again. Eventually, he did wear down in 73, and it was kind of a tough ending for him. But um, but he he was always as good as ever. He was always as good as advertised and everything you expected to see of him. So uh, I'm just glad that his legacy will live on even more so than almost any great Hall of Fame player. Class move by the commanders before the game to hold a moment of silence for Dick Butkus. And I would imagine given how iconic he is to the league, that that's going to be throughout the league on Sunday and Monday. Oh, I think absolutely. I mean, that's, a, that's another great tribute to Dick Butkus is, you know, we've seen Ray Lewis since, since he, you know, the game evolves, players evolve, better, they're always better players. We've seen Ray Lewis, uh, we've seen Lawrence Taylor, uh, technically a linebacker or whatever, become, do even greater things, but yet 
the Dick Butkus Award is, is given to the best linebacker at the high school level, the college level, and the NFL level. 50 years after he last he played his last game that's just that's how much he meant to the NFL and to uh, to all people who either knew about him watched him play and just uh, appreciated what he did for the game uh, Jason I'll leave you with this the Bears now go into the vaunted mini buy which was the savior of their season last year for three weeks uh, being able to go in off of a win versus a loss what does that mean just for the vibe of things uh, around Hallis Hall and, and maybe even the city well, it takes the pressure off the Bears for um, a week, but it doesn't change anything, Pet. Right. I mean, this is still a 1-4 team that has only beaten the Commanders, which is not a very good team. Right. And they have a long list of stuff that they need to address during this time. Like they, last year when they had this break, this kind of break, I think it was maybe even a day longer because they played on a Thursday and then the following Monday. But when you have this extra time, uh, last year they retooled the offense. They came out with a totally different game plan against the Patriots on Monday Night Football. You need that kind of drastic change this weekend, too. The, I, I leading to into defense. the Minnesota think, game. To defense. You yes. need to look at everything. Even as an offense, you cannot be content with just last week and this week. There is still There are still some things you need to deal with. I, I think just a quick to-do list for them. Finish this Chase Claypool situation. Do not let this linger on for another week of Matt Eberflus flailing at trying to answer questions, of players being asked about it, of this kind of limbo of what are they going to do with him. Chase Claypool needs to be off the roster by Monday. Secondly, you need to retool your defense, and I think for Matt Eberflus that should involve retooling his defensive staff. He should designate someone to be the defensive coordinator, even if he wants to still call plays on Sundays. He needs to reorganize that now that he's got the time to do it. This would have been a tough last couple of weeks to pull that off. But also, he and Luke Getze need to do a deep dive on this offense. This isn't fixed. This isn't just problem solved because you scored 40 against the Commanders, 28 last week against the Broncos. It's promising. They're headed the right way. But I think that they still need to really look at that. They still really need to dial in with Justin Fields on his passing performance. Again, I was totally impressed with him today. They forced him to pass, and he did it. But I think there's still a lot of work to do on both sides of the ball. He completed passes to three people today. One of them was DJ Moore, and the other two were tight ends, Cole Komet and Robert Tunyon. That does not an offense make. Uh, you know, If DJ Moore wants to catch 230 yards uh, worth of balls every week, sure. But uh, uh, otherwise, they need more diversity. They need to figure out what's going on at running back, uh, if Khalil Herbert's going to be gone. Dante Foreman has been inactive for three weeks now, but uh, he's not a bad guy to bring off the bench if you need that. Uh, yes, they have a long way to go, but I, I think uh, getting the extra couple of days off a win uh, is probably good for their uh, psyche and self-esteem uh, and, and, and for those around town, too. Uh, Jason, uh, God forbid something uh, terribly interesting happens this weekend. If so, we'll uh, jump on in. But otherwise, we will be back next week to talk about the f- second NFC North game on the Bears' schedule, the Minnesota Vikings. You can read what Mark wrote about Dick Buckus. Again, a wonderful story. And also, Rick Morrissey wrote a column. Uh, the lead to the column uh, will make you smile, uh, so go ahead and give it a read. Jason and I tackled the game tonight, uh, and we will do all the necessary cleanup work tomorrow. Check that out on the Sun-Times website, on the app, or pick up a paper. Until then, he's Mark. He's Jason. I'm Pat. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back again real soon.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.